0: We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at org. We are so grateful for your support. All right. Good morning, everyone. So today we're going to talk about marriage. Marriage. Uh, Our readings today are about marriage, and I just want to tell you right now, today, for many of you, is going to be a challenging homily, and I hope that's the case. Uh, I was thinking to myself, I got a little insecure at last Mass, because I was like, was that too intense? And I asked, it was funny, this couple brought up the gifts, and I asked them, I was like, was that too intense of a homily? And the guy, I don't think he was Catholic, he looks at me and he goes... Yeah, that was way too much. <laughs> I was like, all right, have a nice day. <laughs> if it challenges you today, know it's out of love. It's because I love you. If you come to Lord's and all you ever hear is you are loved by God and you, are, you are, have the mercy of God on you and there's a plan for your life and God wants the best for you, that's all true. But like any good parent, God also wants to challenge us. And if, if this is a church where you're never challenged, Right, You should probably go somewhere where you are. Because the truth should challenge us. It always should. So yesterday I spent, I don't know, four, four and a half hours driving back from Aspen. And I don't know if you know this. I go to Aspen every Friday, hang out up there for a while. Just, no, I don't. Okay, I'm just kidding. But I was in Aspen for a funeral. And it was. A, I want to tell you a little bit about it. It was a very... It was an interesting experience. It was challenging. It was beautiful. Um, It made me think a lot. My dad's best friend died about two weeks ago. Uh, And he wasn't a particularly religious person. He was kind of one of those who goes to church kind of twice a year kind of thing. Um, But he was a deeply good man. And I remember growing up with him and his family And there is just a goodness to them. He was a man of truth and integrity. He was a man who cared for others more than himself. He was was really, truly a great man. And we'll get to that, a little bit of that in a second. But when I go places, and I I think you know this about me, but I I just make people uncomfortable, right? Priests do that. And um, it wasn't a Catholic funeral. It was an Episcopalian funeral. And so I called the Episcopalians. They refer to their ministers as priests as well. And I was talking to this priest a little bit this week. And um, I think I made him really uncomfortable. Uh, he was probably, I don't know, probably in his early to mid-60s. And, and uh, I think Catholics just can have that effect. And so I was trying to make him feel comfortable. And so I just was like, this is, it's, it's his church i'm allowed to, I was asked to preach by the family, so I was going to preach, but you don't like with the way Father Mike might con celebrate a mass with me, you can't do that as a across denominations anyway, so we get up there and he um, he asked me just to wear an alb, you know, just a white robe without a without a stole, which I wouldn't, but it just looks awkward. I was like, this looks so weird, and I was already uncomfortable, and then in the sacristy, he told me he said he was being friendly, and he was like, well, I'm really, really into liberation theology, and I thought I had made him uncomfortable enough that I decided not to tell him that that's a really, really bad heresy and, and contradicts everything Christianity is about. So, so we were up there, and what happened was, that one thing I want to tell you is we have a lot of problems in our church right now, right? We've got a lot of scandal. We have things, that we've got to clean house. But I do have to tell you a bunch of well intentioned people. I thought the, the, the Episcopal priest up there was a very nice man, good intentions. But it made me so grateful to be a Catholic. I drove home for four and a half hours, and, and the, the Catholic Mass, right, and the liturgies that we have from Jesus Christ are so unbelievably powerful. They are so filled with meaning. They have such an ability to give you a direction and a purpose for your life. And all these folks at this funeral were wonderful, but it was so flat. And what happened was there, I didn't know this going in. They asked me to preach, but what I didn't know was there were going to be 10 eulogies. And I thought of you all, and I thought, if only my congregation could be here, they, they would know how short our liturgies are. <laughs> but there were literally ten, 10 eulogies, and they were beautiful, and they were filled with stories, great funny stories. Everybody laughed, everybody cried, so did I. And, uh, but at the end of the day, I, when they all finished, I just thought it was very human. There was this good man we were telling stories about, but I was the only one who mentioned God, and the only one who mentioned the human soul, and everyone loved that, but they didn't know how to speak to that. But if, what I want to communicate through this story is that at the end of the day, everyone knows that humanity isn't enough for us. That we need something more and Steve's life, what a good man, but his life and his search for good things and to become someone who loved can only meet its fulfillment in God. And it was both beautiful and tragic all at once. And it left me just driving for four hours just thinking a lot about these things What I want to share with you today, brothers and sisters, is that God takes human things. So this guy, Steve, his human life was good. It was filled with goodness, right? And we as Catholics, when we look out into the world and we meet others, what we see is a lot of good. And that's important. We need to see that, right? We need to to look at other people's lives, other Christians, even people who don't believe in God, and we need to see there's a lot of goodness there. But God wants to take what's normal and good, and He wants to transform it into something divine. And that's what Christian marriage is. And I want to talk to you today about Christian marriage. Balthazar has this great quote Remember when you were a teenager and you told your parents you were in love? Remember that? I didn't tell my parents because I was too awkward. And I was like, they don't know what love is. (laughs) And so I didn't want to tell my parents. I don't know if I was really in love as a teenager. In fact, I know I wasn't. But but we've had those moments. I know you've had them in your life when you fell in love. And later on, you you, you get older and you look back and you realize it was good. But it, it was a little something, it was a little less than real love. And sometimes you have to go through life, you have to grow up a little bit to realize that your attraction to someone or your infatuation with someone was good, but it wasn't love. Balthazar has a line where he says, I did not know, I did not know what love was until I truly saw what the crucifixion was. Amen. That is true for me. I knew something of love my whole life, right? I, I was girl crazy for, I don't know, 40 years. I haven't turned 40 yet, but something like that. And that wasn't bad. But when, and I saw a crucifix a thousand times. I grew up Catholic. I would see crucifixes all over the place. But something happened in my life where I saw a crucifix as if for the first time. And I realized, right, you guys have your cross, I've got mine, mine's behind you. But my crucifix, when I saw that for the first time as something of an adult, and one time in my life it came alive and I realized that I didn't really know what love was. And that I certainly had never loved anyone the way Jesus loved on the cross. What the Lord does, what the faith does, is he takes something good, and he transforms it. He elevates it. He does this all over the New Testament, all over the place. In the Old Testament, they had a temple, and it was good. It was a place of God. But in the New Testament, Jesus takes the temple, and he transforms and elevates it. Later on in John chapter 2, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. And all the people think that he's talking about that building that they're standing in. But you all know that passage. John comments and it says, but Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. All right, the new temple doesn't, doesn't eliminate the category of temple, but it transforms and elevates it. The new temple is not made of stones. It's made of the body of Jesus Christ the place where God dwells. And then St. Paul will tell us, and Jesus himself, that you and I, when we're baptized into the body of Christ, you and I now are that temple. Right? The new temple is not made of stones, it's made of human hearts. In the old covenant, they had bread from heaven that guided them on the journey. In John chapter 6, Jesus tells us there's a new bread from heaven, The category is still there, but it's transformed and elevated. Right? Now our bread from heaven is the Eucharist, the flesh of God himself that sustains us and nourishes us on our journey to the promised land of heaven. Right? Jesus does that. So today's gospel is all about that. Right? And John's gospel begins, it says, in the beginning, right? Just like Genesis 1, in the beginning. And there's seven days in John chapter 1 and 2 just like the seven days God created the world. And what St. John wants to tell us, remember that scene in The Passion of the Christ? I think I've quoted it probably 20 times. You've all seen it. Jesus is carrying his cross, right? And Mary has that flashback. It's the most emotional scene in The Passion. And Mary has the flashback to when he was a little boy. And she sees Jesus trip. Gosh, I gotta get less emotional. Will you pray for me for that? But Mary sees Jesus trip and fall, and it's a, as a little boy. And, it's, and it, that re, when Jesus trips under the weight of the cross, it reminds her of that. And so it flashes back and forth. Beautiful piece of, of just imagery by Mel Gibson. And Jesus trips and he falls under the cross. And Mary runs to him just like she did when he was a little boy. And remember what Jesus says? He's, he quotes Revelation. It's not from John's Gospel. It's from Revelation. Jesus looks at Mary and he says... See, I make all things new. I make all things new. That's what John's gospel is about, is that Jesus makes all things new. So, brothers and sisters, there is natural marriage. God created it in the beginning. In the beginning, on the seventh day, there was a wedding of Adam and Eve, and it's a natural marriage, and it is good God looks at it and it is very good. And when we look in the world and we see natural marriages that aren't Christian, guess what? They are good. There's a lot of goodness there. But if you're a Christian, if you're really a Christian, God makes all things new. And today in our gospel, it's the seventh day. If you count the days in John chapter 1, and then in today in John chapter 2, it begins, it says, on the third day, and it's the seventh. Three, there's four in the first chapter, plus three, seven. And it's a wedding, just like the creation story. A Cana of Galilee. And what God does is he takes a natural thing and he elevates and transforms it. So marriage in Christ. Brothers and sisters, marriage in Christ, what I want to share with you today is that marriage in Christ is a sacrament. And that is a glorious, holy, and beautiful thing. And I want to call you today. Almost every one of you in this church is called to marriage. Some of you are going to call to live a celibate life of a virgin. Some of you are probably called to priesthood. Some of you are called to enter a convent and consecrated life. But most of you are called to a marriage vocation. And I want to show you your dignity today. And I want to call you that your marriage is different from those who are not Christians. Okay, so quick question. Jesus instituted all seven sacraments. Anything that's a sacrament was made a sacrament by him. So when when did Jesus institute the sacrament of marriage? Don't make eye contact. (laughs) I know it's hard to answer when I ask like this. I was hoping someone would say at Cana so that you could be wrong. <laughs> I am going to be in purgatory a long, long time. But hopefully you'll be with me. You know, we could do penance together. It'll be great. No, Jesus, and here's, here's the main thing. If you take nothing else today, here's what I want you to take. The moment that marriage was instituted as a sacrament from Jesus was the moment he died on the cross. That's when marriage was made a sacrament. It's when Jesus died on the cross. Sometimes I think as as Christians, there's there's a very easy and natural thing we think, is we think sometimes that if we're lay people, we think, well, there's kind of priest world and like pope and bishop world and nun world, and then there's kind of the rest of us. And it's not true. The church, the, the, the birth of the church was the moment Jesus died. He hangs on the cross. Blood and water flow from his side and actually from his heart. And it's just like Adam. When Adam sleeps, God takes a rib from his side right next to his heart and creates Eve. And St. John in John 19 is very, he's at pains to show us that. That what happened when that blood and water came from the heart of Christ, that that was the bride of Christ, the church of God. And so here's what that means. Priesthood wasn't just born on the cross. Every member of the church, their mission, their identity, everything they are, was born from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ.
1: Everything comes
0: from that. Balthazar says this. I haven't quoted him in a couple weeks. Balthazar says the church as a single totality, right? There's not like priests and religious, and then there's lay people over here, right? All of us, you and I are Christians. Christians and our birth happened together. The church as a single totality has in principle died to the world with Christ and with him ascended into heaven. The church as a totality is bound, all of us, we are all bound to this, to Christ's entire redemptive act and the divergent ways of marriage and virginity. Here's, and here's what Balthazar is saying. What he is saying is that, you want to know what a good priest looks like? Right? It looks like that. Do you want to know what a good marriage looks like? It looks like that. Every Christian is born because the church is born from the heart of Christ on the cross. And today's wedding feast at on that seventh day, the early Christians knew this, by the way. St. Paul in Ephesians chapter five talks about this, but almost all the early church fathers see this. St. Augustine says that when Christ climbed on the cross, when he was nailed to the cross, he calls that the marriage bed of the New Testament. Why? Because on the cross, the groom, Jesus, gave his body to his bride, the church. Powerful, powerful stuff. That's what marriage is about. Do you live a natural marriage or do you live a Christian marriage? In our wedding feast today at Canaan, John chapter 2, John ties us. He points us to the cross because Jesus says, or Mary says to Jesus, she says, they have no wine. And here's your Greek, today you get a phrase, not just a word. Your Greek phrase of the day is, Jesus says to Mary, he says, ti emoi kaisoi gune." He probably didn't say it like that. Gune means woman in Greek, but he says, what is that to you and to me, woman? In our office sometimes, people come to my office and they're like, Father Brian, we need you. And I'm like, all right, gune, woman. (laughs) He says, what is it to you and to me, my hour has not come. What does that mean? In John's gospel, if we had more time, we'd spend time going through this. But in John's gospel, the hour is the moment of the passion. It's the last supper. It's the crucifixion. So Jesus ties Cana to his hour, which is John 13, the hour of his death. And all, a lot of the saints and theologians in history have said, you know, At Cana, Jesus turns water into wine, and at the Last Supper, he's going to turn wine into his blood. A lot of stuff there. But let's get back to this. What does this mean for us? Brothers and sisters, God takes good things. He takes your marriage. Maybe your marriage has been a little bit natural. Maybe Jesus hasn't been the center. God wants to take good, natural things, and he wants to transform them into divine things. Here's the practical takeaways today. The world tells us that marriage is attraction, uh, communication, compatibility, and then we hang out for 40 years, 50, 60, however long. Hey, that was cool. Glad I didn't have to be celibate like FB. All right, cool. That is not Christian marriage. That is not Christian marriage. That is not Christian marriage. The only purpose of marriage, marriage is a place that is meant to teach you how to love, not just with a human love, which is good. Human love is good. You are called to a love like that of Jesus on the cross. That's what Christian marriage is. And I know you want this. Don't you want a love like that? Right As a priest, God gave me some good natural things, a natural goodness. But I know that I'm supposed to love like that. That God has called me to a love that's greater. To a love that, that as I age, as I go through life, that I learn how to love, not just in a human way, but I learn how to love the way that Jesus loves. I want to love like that. If you're married, if you're a married person here today, brothers and sisters, your marriage, if it was in the church, if you're a baptized Christian, your marriage is a sacramental marriage. And what that means is that your marriage is not just a nice thing. It means your marriage communicates grace, which will actually save your soul. Are you living your marriage that way? Are you living your marriage not just as we're like our neighbors and we you know, we like to hike, they like to watch the Broncos, they like mass that goes an hour, we like lords, right? No. Your marriage is what will save you if you live it in a Christian way. And it'll take loves that are good but not there yet, and it'll transform it into the divine love of Jesus Christ. If you're not married, I feel an obligation to this at Lord's. If you're not married, brothers and sisters, and I want to acknowledge one thing because I, want to, I brought this up before, but I'm going to do it again. If you're in a mixed marriage, I want to talk about this. If you are a Catholic, non-Catholic married couple, I want to invite you that you're loved, right, that you have a place here, but I want you to examine this. If you're someone who has questions about the Catholic Church, come talk to me. Come to RCIA. Come learn. Even if you have no interest in becoming Catholic come find out why the Catholic Church believes what she does. But here's the thing. When you marry someone who's not a Catholic, it can be harder. Because maybe they don't think marriage is about that. It's easy in the early days, right? God tricks you into marriage. He, kinda, he, he tricks you into priesthood, too. We used to joke about that. We would say, like, when you're entering priesthood, it's like, oh, this is so wonderful, and like, this amazing theology, and like, you're in this big frat house with a bunch of guys, and it's so awesome, and then you get ordained a priest, and you're like, like, oh, by the way, here's a parish, uh, here's all the stuff you don't know how to do, everyone gets a hold of you, and you're gonna be totally overwhelmed for the rest of your life, and you're like, seriously? and then married people you're like oh we're just so in love we love like kissing romantically like lady and the tramp and we did that thing with this the spaghetti and it was so beautiful and then you have kids and you can't sleep at night and you hate your life and you're like i'm just gonna do this for the next 50 years and you're like seriously like god tricks you into your vocation right when you start marriage it's about that but it's not what marriage is about marriage is about god and if you marry someone, if you're single, I want to challenge you to this. You should marry someone not just who you have great affection for. That's important. You should marry someone who knows that marriage is about the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what marriage is about. Marriage is about a union of soul and body that learns to love the way God does. That's marriage. This is why you should also be married in a church. People come to me and they say, Father Brian, we really like you. You know, you're you're kind of relatable. We want to get married on a golf course. And I get it. I would too. If I didn't know this, I would too. The reason you have to be married in a church is because marriage isn't about you if you're a Christian, marriage is about your love being elevated to the love of God. People will say, well, you don't even have a church, and I'm like, yeah, well, you're totally lame. I don't really say that. I try to trick them into it. Lastly, here, and just to wrap things up, brothers and sisters, your life was born on the cross. Marriage is a sacrament. It's meant to save you. Here's my challenge to you. If you're married today, we don't talk about this enough. Go talk to your spouse and say, you know what, I love you so much. I want to love you to heaven. I don't want us just to have a good time in a nice house. And I don't want to just get through life. I want to love in a Christian way you should talk to your spouse about that. And you should say, how do we love each other in a way that goes deeper? in a love that's not just convenient or easy, but a love that says, just like Jesus on the cross, it says, here's everything. Everything I have, everything I am, I lay it down. You should talk to your spouse about that. If you're not married, you might be called to a life like mine, you might be called to virginity. Praise God. Your vocation was born on the cross. And you can lay your life down. If you're going to get married, marriage is not about comfort. It's not about human loves. Marriage is about Jesus. I want to leave you with a quote from the catechism. In the Latin rite, right, in our kind of way of doing Mass, the celebration of marriage between two Catholic faithful normally takes place during Holy Mass. It's appropriate for a marriage to happen during Mass. Why? Because of the connection of all the sacraments with the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Lord... On the cross, you turned natural marriage into a marriage that saves us for your kingdom. Lord, there's a lot of lies about marriage in our culture today. Jesus, I pray for every married couple here. I pray for every person that you will call to marriage. Lord, will you make them so faithful that they'll never settle for anything less than a marriage that has you at its very center. A marriage that is not merely human, a marriage that is divine, that learns how to love the way you loved. Jesus, bless our marriages, bless every one of us, that your church that was born from your heart on the cross, or that we might be faithful and that we might love as you love us. Let us now stand and pray.